Hello, and welcome to my podcast, A Psychologist Looks at Scripture. My name is Peter Doherty. I'm a Catholic priest and a psychologist who integrates both psychology and scripture studies to further understand the Gospels and to seek out pastoral and integrated teachings. Today's Gospel is from John, chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. This Gospel will be read in Catholic churches on January 14, 2024. Today's Gospel happens in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We learn about the call of the disciples. The first two disciples were previous disciples of John the Baptist. In fact, he directs the two disciples to follow Jesus. Just want to stop for a moment and clarify, the writer of today's gospel is not John the Baptist. Today's gospel was written by the disciple John, or more accurately, likely his community, as we estimate his gospels written about 125 after the birth of Christ. So you can do the math. I want to spend a few minutes taking talking about the call of the disciples. When I was a novice many years ago, I envied how the response of the disciples seemed so easy, far different from my, my experience, where I struggled with doubts, concerns, and wondering if I was discerning correctly, whatever that means. I realize now that while the disciples may have answered quite quickly and dramatically, leaving their nets on the shores, like as we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 4 to 11, and Matthew, chapter 4, verse 20 to 22. The disciples still had to grow in understanding of what they were doing and committing to. Some of the most profound teachings from Jesus come from him teaching his disciples. We learn that Andrew, one of the two disciples of John, calls his brother Peter and introduces him to Jesus. Andrew apparently recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, most likely because John the Baptist told him. Likely, he didn't fully understand the implications of what he was saying. I find it interesting to note in this gospel that each disciple is directed to Jesus by another. We have examples of Jesus inviting disciples directly, but many of his disciples were invited by another follower. The gospel of Mark has a slightly different story of, this, of the disciples' call. We'll be hearing about that in a story in a couple of weeks. There are several points about discipleship and community that I want to draw your attention to. First is the fact that Jesus began to build community early in his mission. I'd like to talk about the role of community in living our faith. John chapter 2 verse 1 to 12 is one of my most favorite gospels. This gospel tells the story of the wedding feast at Cana, where Jesus, in his very first miracle, changes approximately 360 gallons of water into a very good wine. I won't go far into this gospel as I plan to address the gospel separately, but I want to point out the fact that Jesus is, a, is attending with his mother and four disciples. This points out that Jesus started his ministry by building community. The highlights, this highlights the importance of community as part of our faith experience. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two in Luke chapter 6, verse 7, and then 72 followers in Luke 10, verse 1, to prepare the people for his arrival. Many have wondered, why two? Wouldn't Jesus have doubled his impact if he sent them out alone? Some scholars suggest that the law required two witnesses to verify testimony. While that may be a factor, I suspect Jesus is making a point that faith grows within a community.
The two disciples can support each other, challenge each other, and be a model of what a Christian means. St. Paul began several communities and his letters to the various communities, such as in Corinth or in Thessalonia, make up a part of the New Testament. Much of the success of the early church is the founding of vibrant and active Christian communities. Clearly, feeling connected to a faith community is an important aspect of developing faith. I've pointed out in previous homilies, you know, we can have a beautiful church, a gifted choir, and a powerful homily or sermon, but if members of the community do not feel respected, cared for, they won't be back. This gospel highlights the fact that community is important for our faith development. I know communities are not perfect. People have been hurt in and by community, and I understand the difficulty of trusting or believing a community when it has been a source of hurt. Jesus himself was betrayed by his community, yet he forgave them. I recognize that many have been wounded so deeply that they are not able to forgive at this time. But there is still an opportunity for spiritual growth. There are toxic communities, and many communities have people who are quite broken and in need of support and healing. None of us were born with a list of instructions. We are all a work in progress. Yet somehow, being in community helps our faith to grow. We may need time alone, but ultimately, we need community. Our family is our first community. It is here where we learn about love. You cannot teach one to love. Yes, you can teach someone how to show love, but it's only being loved that you learn how to love. How do you teach someone to trust? How do you teach someone to share unless they have experienced sharing? Where do you learn how to forgive or be forgiven? When I'm working with someone who is scrupulous or cannot forgive themselves, I wonder what was their experience of forgiveness while they were growing up. Pope Francis, in, in his address, addre referred to the church as a field hospital that takes in the weakest and the infirmed. There are many in our community seeking spiritual and physical healing, and we can be a source of healing for them. Getting back to what we learn in community, how can you teach empathy? What about learning how to commit or be accountable? I could go on, but hopefully you get the picture. I cannot help but wonder that as we go through the life, the interactions we have with one another can lead us to a growing faith. We hear a lot about dysfunctional families. I suspect most families have some form of dysfunction in their family. I certainly don't encourage dysfunction, but I wonder if it is by handling the dysfunction that we learn valuable life lessons. The best disciple that we know is Peter. While he did say yes to the call and he became the leader of the church community, Jesus did have to correct him on a regular basis and even at one point saying to him, get behind me, Satan. You see that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Following Christ doesn't mean that we are perfect or we have it all together or even that we don't sin. Being a follower of Christ is being in a constant state of discernment, trying to know the will of God. Being in a community can help in that discernment. The Apostle Peter gives us a model of what following Christ is all about. Before I finish, I want to go back to my earlier point of, the invi of being invited by another to follow Christ. I suggest reflecting on people in your life who invited you by their words or actions to follow Christ. I encourage you to spend some time focusing on your own journey to discovering Christ in your life. 
And some of those times, you will not feel like it will not feel like an invitation. On the other hand, who are the people who have inspired you? We bring Christ to people in various ways. Be open to the fact that you may have inadvertently led people to Christ by your life, wisdom, and actions. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time you have heard my podcast and are interested in hearing more, I urge you to listen to my first podcast. Every Sunday, I release a new podcast focusing on the gospel for the following week. I invite you to listen to all the podcasts, and I hope the reflections are useful to you. God bless you.